Hours on the Super Power Up Podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers Podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berende, and today I am delighted to have with me Miss Leah Carey. Um, we are going to be talking about sex and intimacy for good girls. I'm very excited for this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Leah Carey so you can get excited for it too. Leah is a sex educator and sexual communication coach who helps people learn to communicate about sex so they can get what they really want in the bedroom rather than just accepting or tolerating what they're given. She is the host of the podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. Sexual freedom is a subject that is deeply personal to Leah because she spent most of her life being a very good girl. Most of the sex she had was either boring or painful, but she endured it because she didn't know she was allowed to ask for anything different. Having taken her own journey to sexual freedom, she is now passionate about breaking the silence, fear, and shame around women's sexuality and pleasure and redefining what it means to be a good girl. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you so much, Tatiana. I am thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. (laughs) So before we dive into this very intriguing topic, will you please tell our listeners what your superpowers are? You know, it's funny, for a long time, I thought that I was an over communicator, and then I made everybody around me crazy with how much I communicate. And then one day I was having a conversation with a a mentor who I really trust and, and admire. And she said to me, you know, communication is your superpower. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> like, It's not a terrible thing. It's just that this is the thing that I do really, really well. And I can help to guide people in that direction rather than thinking of it as this thing that I like overwhelm them with. So I love that distinction. And I, <laughs> I think that I think for a lot of us, sometimes our superpowers, we, act, we actually talk about that as superpower experts a lot, how sometimes the superpowers start out as challenges. Yeah. Um, and then when we really learn to embrace them, they, they be, truly do become superpowers. Absolutely. And communication is such a huge one. I think there's, um, there's so much that we think that we're communicating that we're not. And it's gotten so distorted nowadays with social media and technology and texting, you know, it's like, we think we're communicating. um, And we're not. Yeah, we, we make a lot of assumptions about what we think other people already know, what we think they should inherently understand about us. And so we take shortcuts in our communication. Mm -hmm. And then we get angry. uh, Or resentful that the other person doesn't understand us exactly the way that we desire or need to be understood. Um, I see it all the time, not only in the people who I work with, but also in my own relationship, both my expectations and assumptions about my partner and his expectations of me. Um, it's, it's rampant. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever seen a relationship that doesn't have some level of those uncommunicated expectations. Some are certainly better than others, but yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any relationship where there's not some level of tension around communication. Yeah. And this is intimate partnerships, right? Let's not even go to what's happening on a right. scale right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, good point. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about, about what it means to be a good girl. For me, 
this is a fascinating topic because I was never the good girl. I mean, you know, maybe as a, as a little child, I was like trying to be good, but I was totally the one who skipped class to smoke pot in high school, you know? So, um, so I'd really love to hear your definition of, of a good girl when, when that's, that's sort of the focus of, of your work, right? Yeah. So I was the opposite of you. <laughs> I am the girl who never skipped class once. <laughs> I think I might have skipped class a couple of times when I got to college. Um, but yeah, in high school, never once. Um, I was sort of your quintessential good girl. I grew up in an abusive home. Um, where my father was an alcoholic and he was emotionally abusive and there were um, definitely sexual aspects to the abuse as well. And um, what I took away from that was if I could only be good enough, he would stop. You know, if I were a good enough girl, he wouldn't get mad at me. If I were a good enough girl, he wouldn't get triggered. If I were a good enough girl, blah, 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 blah and on and on. Um, and so I really sort of modeled my whole life and behavior on this idea of being the perfect little girl who um, I never looked quite right. Like I was very aware that my hair was frizzy and I had braces and I had glasses. Like I was, I was not an attractive child <laughs> or teenager, but um but like if I could act perfect, then maybe things would finally get better. And it didn't actually work. Nothing fixed the situation, but it became such a uh, deeply um, bred uh, behavior pattern in me that even once I was out of my father's house and no longer reliant on him for my uh, you know, for my well-being, I still continued to play out those patterns even after he died. And he died when I was in my mid-20s. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long time. But even into my early 40s, I was still playing out all of these behaviors of the good girl. I was, um, you know, sort of the classic story. I had an abusive relationship in my primary mother, uh, rather father-daughter relationship. So then I chose uh, abusers as partners because that's what I knew. That's how I knew to interact with someone. That's all that I thought I deserved because frankly, that's what my father told me. He told me I was fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. Mm -hmm. And so I chose the only people who showed up who seemed to be willing to love me. I now look back and realize that's a fallacy. I was only seeing the people who were going to love me in the same way that my father, quote unquote, loved me. And I was totally missing people who were willing to love me in other ways. But it's what I believed, that these were the only people who were going to love me. And so I set about trying to nurture them and take care of them and always be perfect and never say anything that was upsetting and take care of all of their sexual needs, even though I was getting absolutely no pleasure and often a lot of pain in the process. That was my definition. And, you know, it's sort of like the story of the fish that's swimming in water and doesn't know that it's in water because it's all that it knows. I had no idea that I was playing out this, this good girl trope 
it's just all that I knew. It wasn't until I got into my early 40s and went on my own personal journey of sexual discovery that I learned that there was this whole other way that I could be that I had thought was not available to me. I thought, oh, only other girls can do that. Only the pretty girls can do that. Only the thin girls can do that. Only the popular girls can have a sex life and can have fun and can be flirty and all of those things. It wasn't until I got into my early 40s that I realized, oh, you know what? It's possible to be a quote unquote good girl and enjoy sex. That was mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as I'm hearing you share your story, it's like, it's a story that I've heard from so many women. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's unfortunately, it's a very common story. Yeah. You know, that we were molded by, by abuse growing up. And, you know, I was, I was, I was reflecting too, as you were sharing, like I, my father was abusive in some senses, more emotionally than physically um, and energetically. And there was, there was a lot in our family, but it's like everyone responds to it differently. You know, mine, my response was to say, well, fuck you. I mean, I'm going to do it differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be the opposite of what you want me to be. And, and yours was to, to try to be exactly what he wanted you to be. And so for me, it's just, it's just fascinating the myriad ways that, not only that trauma shows up in our in our histories, but also the many ways that we respond to it. Yeah, and I think those are two of the really classic responses um, to trauma. Is one is to become as good as possible to try to alleviate the trauma, and the other is to go all the way to the other side. and And if you're talking about sexual trauma, to become extremely promiscuous Mm -hmm. to the point of self-destruction. Now, I'm not saying that um, casual sex is bad, um, but there are people who do it with a sort of self-destructive bent. And that is that is a classic outgrowth of trauma. And there's, there's every other point in between, but those are sort of the two really classic um, end posts of that spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, it, it feels very lovely to, to be two sides of the spectrum, having a conversation (laughs) here together. Um, I, there's something about that that just makes me really happy. Yeah. Um, The, the intersection of, of diverse paths um, converging is something that I really, really love and appreciate. So we do have to go to a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to dive more into how you came to this work and, um, and what you're doing now and, and your show um, looks totally fascinating. So I want to talk about that too. Before we go to break, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Absolutely. So my website is leahcarey.com, L-E-A-H-C-A-R-E-Y.com. The podcast is Good Girls Talk About Sex, um, where I have conversations with women about their sex lives. And I'm on Facebook. Instagram and YouTube under the handle Good Girls Talk. Awesome. So we're talking with Leah Carey about sex and intimacy for good girls. Stay tuned tomorrow when we get back. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you 
for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Okay, we're back. So I'm very curious what you have found to be sort of some of the common threads for for the good girl or the the woman who has identified as the people pleaser, as the the one who doesn't really think that she deserves pleasure, can have pleasure, can ask for what she wants. What what are some of the most common themes that you have seen mm-hmm. um, with with your clients in that regard? Yeah, I think probably the biggest one is I I don't know how to ask, why doesn't my partner do the things that I want them to do? And then, you know, feeling really sort of resentful that they're not getting the kind of pleasure that they want out of sex. And then when I say to them, okay, so what is it that you want? Their eyes get big and they say, oh, I guess I don't really know. Um, Because those of us who sort of fell into this good girl mold were so busy taking care of everybody else that we never stopped to think about what it is we want to question what would bring us satisfaction or pleasure. And so we know that there's this hole, like this hole that we're trying to fill. We know that there's this dissatisfaction and we want it to be better. But when it comes right down to, okay, so what are the words that we need to say in order to help you get what you want? There's this realization, oh, you know what? I have no idea what I want. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I see. Like the first exercise that I go through with a lot of clients is, okay, then let's sit down and make a list of your turn-ons. And even that is really scary for people. And they're like, well, well, what do you mean by that? Are these the things that that I like my partner to do to me? Are these the like, what if one of my turn-ons is cowboy boots. I'm like, great. <laughs> like, then that's a thing. Like, you know that you can say to your partner, I really love it when you wear cowboy boots. Um, or if they say, well, I'm not even sure what I like because my partner, when he's, and let's just assume a heterosexual um, connection for this particular moment. Um, it, what if he always, when he starts touching me, he just goes straight for sex mm-hmm. and I need something more. That is a, an incredibly common conversation that I have where women tend to need a type of non-sexual, but still intimate and sensual type of touch in order to get to being in the mood. Sure. And That's they hot. don't, They're afraid of expressing that to their partner. And they don't think of that as a turn on. They just think of that as 
well, I don't get what I need, when in fact, that sensual intimate touch is actually something that we need to think of as a turn on so that we can express it to our partner as, honey, in order for me to get really excited and be with you in the way that we both want, I need this kind of touch first. And unfortunately, most of the time, that kind of touch gets dismissed as, well, we'll do a few minutes of foreplay and then we'll get to real sex, Mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking of it all as part of, quote unquote, real sex, because it's what it takes to get both partners really connected and ready. ready. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's also... um an element that can arise when if, if you've never experienced something, how can you know that it's something that you enjoy? So true. Absolutely. So true. And, and that's a question that I get from women who are relatively inexperienced either because they haven't had many or any sexual partners. And I, I do work with people like that or because their sex partners have been so quote unquote vanilla, um, you know, one or two um, positions and that's it. And not a lot of variety, not a lot of exploration when they really desire variety and exploration. Um, And so then what I what I recommend is, you know, thinking about your fantasies. What is it that you are like in your most unguarded moments? What are the things that you imagine might be possible? Okay, now let's work with that. Let's, you know, read some stories, some erotic stories about those things or watch a movie that involves those things and see how it feels to you when you have more information. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it too is about allowing yourself to wake up to what's happening in your body too. I think a lot of women uh, that I've encountered, they shut down at a certain point, especially, you know, we were talking about trauma earlier. If we have trauma in our, in our past and and sex becomes this, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn off and let it happen Mm -hmm. because I learned early on how to do that. Right. And so there's, there's a, there's a process of awakening to sensation that can actually be really uncomfortable at first. Oh, absolutely. Getting into our bodies, if we have spent our lives consciously or unconsciously, but if we have really spent our lives not being in our bodies in order to not feel the trauma and the pain, getting into our bodies can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say two things about that. One is that the reason that I um, call myself a communication, a sexual communication coach and not a sex coach is because I don't have any business telling people what positions to try or here's a technique and how to do it because I am still learning how to be in my body myself. I am really good at communication. I am still learning how to fully embody fully be in in my body during sex. Um, that is very much my path in this, you know, in this life or whatever that, um, you know, I am 36 steps further down the path now than I was when I started, but I don't know that I will ever feel like I am a person who's 
ready to tell other people how to do that piece of it. Well, um, it's a, you bring up an interesting point there too. First of all, I just really want to acknowledge and admire your integrity. Um, I think there's a lot of people who who say they can do things that maybe they they shouldn't be doing. Um, but also, like in my experience, anyhow, that's like that's that's the detail work, you know. That's, exactly. That's not actually the core of what it's about. And, and the positions and the techniques and the toys and all of that, it's like, those are extras that, and absolutely there are, there, there is a, I mean, there's actually like a a science to certain positions and how that all works. And that's a study in and of itself. Um, And there are incredible books that have been written about it. And, and I think there are some teachers that teach that, although you got to be really careful with with some of the people who are out there teaching that stuff also because um, if you don't have this foundational stuff in place and you jump to trying to work on those pieces i've just i've seen a tremendous amount of re-traumatization that can happen um, abuse um, with with practitioners that can occur that does occur that has occurred um, and so I think that the piece that you're that you're focusing in on is so vitally important because if we don't have that communication, the rest of it really doesn't matter. Exactly. I, and thank you for saying all of that so beautifully. I, I think that the the place where the vast majority of sexual relationships fall down is not the actual sex. It's the communication about what we want how we want it, and what our boundaries are. Yeah. Um, if those conversations are not in place, you are always sort of pissing into the wind. <laughs> you know, like if you don't actually know what your partner enjoys. I mean, for instance, I, I was having this conversation just the other day with someone who on my podcast, I, I ask women really sort of, pointed questions about their sex lives. And one of them is often, have you ever faked an orgasm? And, um, and this woman was saying to me, oh, yeah, I like, I'm not doing it maybe in my current relationship, but I've done it a lot in the past. I was like, and how much are you actually, did you actually get out of that sexual encounter? She's like, well, nothing. That's why I faked. I'm like, but if you're faking then you're not actually giving your partner any information to work with. They think that what they're doing is working for you. So they're going to keep doing it while you're laying there being sort of bummed out or resentful that you're not getting what you need and wishing for it to be over when you could sort of reset that cycle. And I'm not saying that this is easy. This takes a ton of courage. Well, and it takes a lot of vulnerability too. Absolutely. I know, I know for myself, like I have faked orgasms in the past. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, so have I. <laughs> and it was always, every single time that happened, it was because I just wanted it to be over. Yes. Right. And it, and, and it wasn't ever with someone who, you know, I used to have a lot of one night stands and stuff because I, I had a very unhealthy relationship with sex and power. And for me, it was a numbers game. And it was like, you know, the more men I could fuck, the more powerful that I was, that mm-hmm. meant that I was, which I was, you know, it was a total distortion for me because what really I was doing, I was giving away my power left and right. Um, 
But I think that's also not an uncommon story for, for a lot of women. But there were some certain interactions that I would get into. I mean, very stupid. I look back nowadays, I'm like, holy moly, you're like, you're still alive. (laughs) (laughs) You were stupid. (laughs) But, but, um, But there were definitely moments where it's like, I just want this to be done. And I, and I didn't have enough of a relationship with that person. So I didn't even remember their name halfway through because I was inebriated or whatever. And so there was definitely no moment for me to be like, oh, I'm going to communicate what I want right now. It was just like, just get off me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I have a history of faking orgasms um, and mine, because I was too much of a good girl to be having one night stands, mine all happened in the context of relationships when like you, I just wanted it to be over and get off me. And I didn't have enough of a relationship with my partner to be able to say it. But more than that, I didn't have enough of a relationship with myself. Because I wasn't, first of all, I didn't even know what it was I would be asking for. I just thought that this was sort of my lot in life, that there was nothing better available to me. And if I wanted to keep this relationship, then this is what I had to endure in order to make that happen. That is like, I feel like one of the biggest travesties of our, our sexual state of the union, if you will, (laughs) is that there are so many women who think that that's just, they've just resigned themselves to thinking that that's what sex is. And, you know, pleasurable sex is just not my lot in life. Right. Well, I mean, okay. So here's one of my soapbox moments. Um, if you think back to the sex ed that you got in junior high school, if you were even lucky enough to get something called sex ed, because a lot of kids don't or didn't, um, and a lot of kids got abstinence-only sex ed, which is not sex ed right. at all. Um, and even those of us who got something that was not abstinence-only, it was all it is, is disease prevention and pregnancy prevention. There is nothing in there about how to communicate effectively. Right. And about, it's like taught by your gym teacher. Right. Exactly. No place teacher. Or your football coach <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, but regardless of whether it was abstinence only or not, here's what almost all of us heard. Boys will grow up and they will have wet dreams and get boners and ejaculate. Girls will grow up and get their period and suffer. And get pregnant. And get pregnant. And it's their job to make sure they don't get pregnant. So boys, like the lesson is boys get to have pleasure and girls will suffer. Like it starts that, it starts before that. But that is an extremely clear place that most of us start getting our sexual understanding and there is no place in there for us to even imagine that there might be pleasure. Yeah. Because it's all about how we're going to get periods and cramps. And then someday we're going to get pregnant and we have to be careful not to get a disease. And we can't get pregnant while we're still in high school and on and on and on. And then somehow, um, and this is true even for non-religious um, people, uh, based on on my own experience and what I've heard from others, but it's vastly worse for people who grow up in 
in really religious situations that it's the girl's job to not tempt the boy. It's her job to keep herself pure. But then as soon as she gets married, a switch is supposed to flip and suddenly she's supposed to know exactly how to provide all of the pleasure for her partner. Right. Right. Yes. It's the whole, the classic, like, you know, schoolgirl skirt thing that then turns into a whole. Oh, right. Fetish, right. Yes. It's like, yes. You're supposed to look demure and clean and well kept mm-hmm. and then turn into some naughty girl in the bedroom. Exactly. It's so messed up. And and to be fair, I don't want anyone to hear me and think, oh, well, then she's saying that men get it easy. That is not the case. Men get their own set, or little boys get their own set of nonsense, which is all about how they're supposed to just know things without having to ask. They're supposed to be excellent at things and fix everything without ever having to ask, which is really problematic when you get into the bedroom and you think that you're supposed to know exactly how to please your partner without ever asking what it is they actually want. I'm going to just, that, I, yeah, I, I just want to take, like, I'm inspired right now to take a moment yeah. to just envision a world where sex education is actually teaching us how to pleasure ourselves and one another. Oh my God. Like, oh wouldn't that, wouldn't, like, <laughs> what would happen in the world? It'd be so amazing, right? If we had a world or at least a country where sex education was actually that, yeah. it was teaching you how to have sex and how to have pleasure. Yeah. I know people who would hear that and who would just like flip out. And I think we have this really distorted notion that if we teach young people about pleasure, that that's all that they're going to then want to go and do. Right. But like PSA, that's all that they're going to want to go and do anyway, whether you teach them about it or not. Yeah, and actually, uh, I, I'm terrible with geography. I can never remember if it's, I think it's Norway, maybe, has an extremely robust sex education system. Like they start talking to kids in preschool about consent and boundaries at, in age appropriate ways. But then they actually have something like what you and I are like, oh my God, I wish we had that. <laughs> like actual sex education throughout their teenage years. And, and yeah, the, the fear here is, well, then kids would just be out, you know, screwing like rabbits. No, actually they're, first of all, they're doing it anyway, and they're doing it in incredibly unsafe ways. But what they find in whichever country this is, I think it's Norway, um, is they have much lower, uh, rates of teen pregnancy and of STIs because their kid it doesn't surprise me at either even a little bit because they have education if they choose to have sex they're educated about how to handle it they're educated about what the emotional repercussions are for it and it's not this sort of mystery thing that nobody actually talks to you about and that people whisper about behind their hands it's all out in the open so they don't have to wonder 
Yeah. I mean, part of why I was so promiscuous when I was younger is because I was trying to figure out all the, how all this stuff worked. Mm-hmm. And I was so curious about, I wanted to learn about sex. I wanted, you know, I, when I lost my virginity, it was like, I need to get this virginity thing out of the way because I want to be well practiced for whoever I do end up with, you know, like I, I was fascinated with what made bodies feel certain ways and how to do that. And the only way to, to figure that out was either if someone was going to actually educate me about it, but I had no mentorship in that regard. So I had to go out and put myself in really unsafe and unhealthy situations to figure it out for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting way to think about it. It, it reminds me of, uh, there's a woman on the podcast. Uh, I'd have to go back and check. I think her name is Elizabeth. Um, and she, she grew up in, uh, uh, with a pretty strong religious Christian religious um, philosophy about you you don't have sex until you're married um, and she was sort of fooling around with this boy as a teenager and she knew that he wasn't going to be the person she would marry so she knew she couldn't have sex with him but she was having enough fun that she decided I am going to practice giving him blowjobs so that when I meet the person I'm going to marry, I'll be good at it. <laughs> and I just love that. I like totally valid. Yeah. <laughs> I like that is taking real ownership of her own body and her own sexuality, even in the midst of some sort of less than desirable messages. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your show. How, okay. How did, how did you, how did the show come to be? What's the premise? Yeah. So, okay. So I'm 42 years old and I am completely sexually repressed. (laughs) That is how this story starts. (laughs) (laughs) But in the, but I am also like, I'm completely sexually repressed in my actions but I'm also completely obsessed with the idea of good sex and whether I will ever actually have it. And so I read books and I like, I just, I'm as often as I can, I'm immersing myself in these like fairly sexually explicit uh, media, whether it's books or TV or whatever. And then um, it's a bit of a long story, but I went on my own journey of sexual healing and reclaiming my body. Um, while I was going through that experience, I was part of a writers, an online writers group of all women. Um, and I decided, well, I'm going to write about these experiences as I have them. And the first few times I posted, I was really, really embarrassed. I was like, I know this is probably way too much information. Like, you don't have to read this. Please, like, forgive me for being so blunt, blah, blah, blah. And their responses were like, oh, my God, tell us more. (laughs) We're starved for it because we don't talk about it. Right, exactly. And so the more experiences I had, the more kind of explicit I was like I was telling him exactly what was happening but I was also sort of doing a deep dive into my own psyche Mm -hmm. 
um, about why, not just like, here's everything that happened. Like, here's where this person stuck their finger and I put my tongue. Like, okay, fine. (laughs) But, but also like, why is it that I, why am I getting triggered by the things that I am? And, and why do I have these beliefs that I have? And like, so I'm doing all of this internal processing through this writing for my group. And the more that I shared with them, the more they kept asking for more, but also they started sharing their stories back to me. And I realized how hungry I was to hear their stories as well. And that's when I thought, oh, these are the conversations I want to be having all of the time, but I don't know where to find them. And after doing a little bit of research, I was not able to find the kind of conversations that I wanted, which was like the conversations you have with your girlfriends over a bottle of wine in the middle of the night, you know, like that level of intimacy and honesty. And so that was when I decided, well, if it doesn't exist, I guess I need to create it. <laughs> and so that's, that is the premise of uh, good girls talk about sex. Um, my podcast. It's not all good girls. Uh, there are, you know, I've interviewed sex workers, I, um, people all over the spectrum. Um, but the name came because I I recorded a, a sample interview and I sent it to some of my friends and I was like, "Is this something that you can imagine wanting to listen to?" <laughs> And one of my friends who's kind of, you know, snarky and sarcastic wrote back very tongue in cheek. She was like, I can't listen to this. Good girls don't talk about sex. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That has to be the name. Good girls talk about sex. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and one of the beautiful things about podcasting is the anonymity you know, people yes. can tune in and no one has to know. Right? And not only that, um, most of my guests are anonymous, uh-huh. which means that they can really be like brutally honest mm-hmm. about what's going on in their lives. Um, there was one woman, uh, I've done enough episodes at this point that some of the names escape me. I think her name was Amy. And she was really honest about the fact that she is in a miserable marriage that she feels like she can't leave because there are kids and um, so she is, she, at the time that I was speaking to her, she was on the cusp of beginning an affair. Um, and she, uh, when I asked her, what is it that you hope will happen? Like, what is your ideal outcome? She was as honest as I can imagine somebody being. And she said, I wish I could just tell my husband to leave and he would go without a fuss. Mm. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yes, this is real. This is really, really real. Right. Yes. And I think it's it's so valuable what you're offering. I I say over and over again that the power of story. I mean, we're 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 starved for story in our culture. I've I've had the 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 great privilege and honor to work with a lot of different cultures from around the world. And storytelling is such a central core piece of how knowledge and information gets passed on over time. And we are not a storytelling culture. Mm. And we are so deprived because of it. 
depraved. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, we are, we are so lacking in, in soul and in, in truth and in wisdom and in guidance because we don't share our stories with one another. And so I just really, again, want to, want to say hats off to you and thank you for doing what you're doing because uplifting the stories and the voices of others, I think is one of the most powerful things that we can do in this Mm. time right now, because we're so isolated and we're, and we, you know, we're stratified with our social media algorithms showing us only other people who are like us. And, And yet there's this, like, there's, there's this richness to the human tapestry and to get to hear other people tell their stories who maybe are nothing like us and see where their intersections are, or to just hear a completely different perspective. I mean, it can change your world. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel like um, my goal is to help people to realize that whatever they're going through, because people have so many fears about sex and whether they're good at it or whether they're worthy of it and whether they're attractive enough and on and on. Or if what's um, happening for them is normal or they're exactly. just really weird. Yeah. Yes. The normal question is probably the the most que- frequent question I guess. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I want this thing. Am I normal? And the answer is yes. <laughs> like just yes. The only thing that becomes problematic is if you want to hurt someone without their consent. Um, if you want to hurt somebody with their consent, that's fine. <laughs> you know, there's a whole community for that. Right. So the only thing that is not okay is doing something to someone without their consent. Or everything children. else is on the table. The whole the um, children thing. I have. You know, I think that the line gets well. Children can't here. consent, right. so that yeah, that is covered there. Yeah. Um. So um, yeah, that I want people to hear their own stories reflected back to them, mm-hmm. and hear that they're okay and that they're that they're quote unquote normal. It's the reason why I, you know, I have a lot of other sex educators come to me and request to be. Um, interviewed, and I do it some because, frankly, I I need to have interviews. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> without them, I don't necessarily have enough to fill the slots yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but far and away, my preference is to interview people who are just right in the middle of it, who are who have maybe never had a conversation about their sex life. Um, And then, so I I want people to know that they're not alone and to hear their own stories reflected back to them. And on the other side, I also hope that they'll hear things that maybe they've never considered before. And, you know, even if it's not like, oh, I want to try that, at least they'll have some broader understanding because I think that's what builds empathy. Exactly. Is to make people individuals. And, you know, for instance, I interview trans people on the podcast, um, both trans men, because they grew up being socialized in little girl bodies um, before they transitioned, and trans women, because now they are being powered by estrogen and have um, and are presenting to the world as female and living a female life. Both of those, I think, fully fall within the spectrum of what I'm doing. I also interview non-binary people. Um, but I want people to hear those stories 
because I want them to be people and not just this scary other. Mm-hmm. Like I have a, an interview. Uh, I definitely remember her name because she's a good friend of mine, uh, Davina. Uh, she's a trans woman and she talks very openly about her genitalia and how she likes her genitalia to be interacted with. And like all of these questions that, that we're scared to ask. And, and quite frankly, we shouldn't be asking people if we don't have a good relationship with them we don't, already you're established. We're not going to go up to them in the grocery store and be like, right. oh, what do you have in your pants? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Davina and I have a close friendship and she agreed, you know, right up front to answer those questions. And so I think that's an amazing opportunity for people to hear these stories that they wonder about, but don't have a way to learn about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing that work. And I really, um, I wish you the the best of success. So everyone who's tuning in here also go in and and check out the Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast because I was just browsing through there and it looks like there's just some really juicy, really interesting conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you listen and you like it, please let me know so you can come do an interview with me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Leah, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come in and explore with us on the show today. It's been really lovely to to talk with you. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for the work that you are doing, Tatiana. Absolutely. It's I feel like we're we're all being called to this to to change the situation in whatever yeah. way we can. Um before we before we sign off, is there anything that you want to make sure that our listeners here that maybe we didn't cover? Um, I think I just want to reiterate what we were saying a moment ago, that whatever your desires are, they are normal. You are okay. And if what your desire is, is to have less sex or no sex, that's normal too. That um, this idea that I, I actually had a woman come to me um, we were doing a, she's doing part of a group coaching program. Um, and she said to me, I was a little nervous that when we started this, uh, I was going to have to walk out the end of this group coaching program being like fully sexualized and like wanting it all the time. And what I realized is I don't want it all the time. And I need to figure out a way to talk to my partner about maybe having less. And, and I was like, that's amazing. Like all that matters to me is that you actually know what you want for your body and that you find a way, whether it's with me or somebody else, that you figure out a way to begin communicating that to your partner. Your needs and your desires are inherently unique to you and they do not need to look or sound or feel like anybody else's. Beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning into the show. I'm so deeply grateful for you. And I hope that you take the gems from this conversation and go out and apply them to your life. If you want to dive deeper with us over at Superpower Experts into the world of superpowers and honing them and what do they mean and how do I actually apply them to my life, you can go and check out our programs page at superpowerexperts.com forward slash programs. Come and join us in the Superpowers Are Real group on Facebook. Uh, We want to hear from you. 
And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.